if I hope to get anything out of my books, it's just to give people some entertainment and and give them some laughs and just make their heavier days feel a little lighter. I think that's that's really all I want. Welcome to What Were You Thinking? The podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What Were You Thinking? Today, my guest is Andrew Snook. Now, Andrew is a writer. He's got a series of books that he's written, but his latest initiative is called Canadian Independent Publishers. I met Andrew at the When Words Collide writing conference here in Calgary back in August and I was so impressed with how he runs his business and how he grows his business and now he's got this new initiative that supports independent authors and independent publishers and small presses and I was like I have to have this guy on this podcast so he's here And it's an excellent conversation. We talk a whole lot about indie publishing and building the right team and the benefits of choosing that path for your writing. We talk about writing with little children at home, especially children who do not sleep very well. We cover creativity and how he finds creative inspiration and spark in unlikely places. I hope you'll get as much out of this conversation as I did. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Andrew Snook, author and founder of Canadian Independent Publishers. I want to work backwards through your history. And normally with an author, we'll start at like, oh, what, you know, their author journey from the very beginning. But I you have so much going on, Andrew, that I want to <laughs> I want to kind of start with like the most recent and move backwards. Okay. So let's yeah, sure. talk about the Canadian independent publishers. Is it Canadian independent publishers or Canadian independent publishing magazine? No, you're right. Canadian independent publishers. Okay. So tell me about this lovely incentive <laughs> and this magazine that you decided to start because obviously you have much time on your hands. <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm a sucker for punishment. So, uh, so I, I've been an independent author for, I mean, my first time I even jumped into those waters, it was almost 20 years ago, writing a novella while I was in university. Um, and I didn't know anything. And I just kind of fumbled my way through it. Uh, and I've, over the years, I've put together, you know, a few books over the years. And it's, you know, you make your share of mistakes and um, and you have your share of successes if you're lucky, and, and I've been pretty lucky with that. Um, but one thing that I found in Canada that's always been really missing is a place to to showcase Canada's independent authors um, that that are putting forth those efforts to make their books, you know, at, you know, as good as anything you'd find when you go into uh, you know your chapters into Go or somewhere with you know traditionally published books everywhere. Um, there's really no place to showcase those efforts. And that's always kind of bothered me. Um, so I wanted that's that was kind of the main push for me to put together this publication was to create a place where we could showcase those authors um, and, and just highlight them and their colleagues, uh, you know, in, in addition to the independent authors, 
I want to showcase, you know, illustrators, um, indie bookstores, small publishing houses, uh, and just help create, a, you know, a platform where we can we can kind of showcase these people and celebrate their efforts. And just, you know, I just hope to spread the word about about, you know, talented authors. You're spreading the word through social, through website, and through the magazine, correct? Yeah. And then there's a monthly newsletter you can get for free if you go on. You can get that off the site as well. And had you ever had experience publishing a magazine before? Yes. Uh, so I've done. So I have um, my own content creation company. It's called Snookbooks Publishing. Uh, and so I work with a lot of companies and associations to create uh, custom content as well as custom publications from time to time. Uh, so I did have experience there. And, and if you go dial back beyond that, uh, I've been a magazine editor uh, in the world of B2B for, I only just stopped this year, uh, but I've been doing it since 2011. Um, and then before that, I was working in newspapers uh, in the Ottawa area. So I've had, I mean, as far as the publishing world, I've had my share of experience over the years. So yeah, okay. it's not, it doesn't feel new. <laughs> well, that's good. And I, I'm curious why and how, you came to launch the first issue with my friend, uh, P.L. Stewart. I was, I've been looking around for a while. I look, I was looking at different authors um, and P.L. was someone who reached out to me a little while back. He was asking some questions about uh, just a few things about events to go to, things like that. Um, and I knew he was, uh, I knew he was in the Windsor area. And so I started looking into his books and I thought they sounded interesting and I started giving one a read and, and I liked it. So I thought, you know what, why not? Let's, let's, let's give him a shout, see if he'd be interested. And, and he was, he's very active uh, with his own book promotion, which is awesome. He's uh, he's, he's like dived in head first, which is really cool. Um, and I think he's a, he's a really cool guy uh, to, to be able to highlight. And especially with the efforts that he's making now, he's, he's jumped into the game like later in his career and he's just gone like full bore going, right? So it's very cool that he's getting he's producing a book every every year. It's awesome. I think this I think it's fantastic. And and they're well written, right? They're they're good books. So yeah. A drowned kingdom, check it out. Hey, just me with a quick aside. If you're so inclined, you can go listen to my interview on this podcast with PL. It's season one, episode twelve. And it was a great conversation about his journey. If you've ever thought of self-publishing, you need to listen to this episode. Okay, so let's let's move away from my good friend Paul and let's focus on your book. So you've got uh, a number of them out there. What is the most recently published one? And we'll work backwards. Sure. So I, I produced two in 2022. Um, one's called Dungeon Jest, the Ruby of Power. Um, it was a, it's a monster battling kind of dice rolling game book. Um, I grew up with those kind of books as a kid and they were the first books that got me really into reading. And ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to create one. And it was just one of those things kind of, I tried when I was little, but I mean, you know, you only put so much effort in, I think, in dedication when you're, you know, 11, 12 years old. So, and then it just kind of, it just disappeared for a long time. And during the pandemic, I just, uh, I was looking for a way to write because writing is my outlet for, for life is, <laughs> you know, for letting out those stresses and frustrations. Writing has been at my outlet for a long time. Um, and we were home, we have three small children, we were homeschooling them. 
uh, during the pandemic because uh, one of one of my children had some health issues. So we were worried about COVID and stuff like that. Um, and so in 2020, 2021, uh, we had my son was two, uh, two turning three. He got into like toddler sleep stages, which were like he'd wake up at three and party till seven oh. for like for like eight months straight. All my kids did this. Um, but this time I bring him downstairs at three. He'd eat his Eggo waffles, watch cartoons, seven, he'd fall asleep on the couch. Then I'd be like, all right, it's time for me to do some work. <laughs> this is what I did with the other two. But as soon as he started doing it, I thought, you know, I'd love to be able to take this time to do some fiction writing because it's very quiet in the house other than the cartoons on. Um, but I couldn't write a traditional novel with him beside me. It's just, it's too much disruption. I can't concentrate, but I thought I've, all I need to do are like little, little tiny kind of paragraphs at a time um, because these books are essentially, you know, made up of a few hundred paragraphs. And I thought, well, I, I let's try this maybe I can do it. And so over the eight months or so um, I sat there beside him in the middle of the night with my, my notepad and pen. And I wrote out the entire first draft of dungeon just in the middle. It was all written in the middle of the night by hand. And then I took it out later um yeah so that's that's kind of how that one came to be <laughs> it's it was interesting for me to open up dungeon jest because i haven't like you already said i haven't seen a book like that since probably the 90s yeah um so did you have to go back and like refresh your memory on how these kinds of things were written because we don't see a whole lot of them out there in the market now I'm a big gamer nerd. I love games. So like it's it's none of it felt unfamiliar to me. Um I I love I love those kind of books. Um you know, and I, I love I love anything that you like roll dice and battle monsters and that kind of stuff. So yeah, for me it was just kind of natural to create that one. <laughs> uh so yeah, it didn't didn't take a lot of like refreshing. So so yeah, no, it was just good fun. Although it was the editing was an interesting challenge in itself, uh, because instead, you know, in addition to the typical editing, you know, you need to go through all the processes to get a book done. You also are are staring at like this massive, you know, like tree diagram of all these different paths that you take, right? And you have to make sure they all line up. So when you're co when I'm coordinating with like the editors I work with, I'm like, hey, so this is a kind of a different project. I need you to match all the paragraphs you know, in addition to all the proofing and stuff. So, um, and I, I mean, I had my wife and I put the whole book out on the floor, spread out and like connecting it like a tree. Right. So um, it was interesting. It was an interesting challenge. It took extra efforts for sure in that sense. Um, uh, and I was really lucky too. We had, uh, I had a fantastic illustrator named Jeff Fowler, who's out in mm -hmm. Hamilton and he did a fantastic job um, with the illustrations. There's over 90 unique you know, pieces of artwork in there. And then uh, Corey King, uh, who's a, a comic book inker, professional comic book inker, um, who Jeff happened to know, uh, agreed to work with Jeff and, and inked all the artwork. He did an amazing job on it. Um, it was a really cool, like, collaborative effort, I feel like, uh, between everyone I worked with on the project. Yeah, the illustrations really leap off the page. I completely love them. And I could just like, oh... What like just look at them for a while because you don't really see a whole lot of detail sometimes in illustrations in books and I'm I, so you hired the right people. 
Yeah. Um, did you have trouble finding an editor? Because as you already mentioned, it's not a typical narrative where, you know, like a structural editor is, is looking for certain things. But I think for this kind of project, like what, what were some of the things that the editors needed to be aware of? Well, I have, I have a couple editors that I work with regularly who are just part of what I do is like with, with my team for my books, I have people who's you know, their personalities are as important as the skills that they bring for the editing. I, I want to have the right people who understand a lot of my book. A lot of my books have very silly kind of a very certain type of humor to it. And I need people who understand that kind of humor to be part of the project, even in the editing. Um, so they understand. So they just have that kind of they're the kind of people who um, would enjoy a book like that. That's kind of my part of my thought when I hire people for for editing i want the right people working on the books i know i wasn't it wasn't trouble getting them they do a great job i've worked with the same people there um nicole north and roseanne lake uh two fantastic editors um uh roseanne's in the ottawa area nicole's in the vancouver area and they both do amazing jobs editing i've worked with them for for several books so yeah, I know I've never had an issue with with getting people. I've now that I've kind of I've kind of handpicked everyone I like to work with. And so um I've kind of just assembled my own team that I feel is the right fit for the books I write. And I think that's really important when people are looking for editors if they have that luxury. I mean, I'm lucky too. I've worked in uh, you know, as a writer and an editor for a long time, so I got to know a lot of people who write and edit. Um so yeah, I think I think part of it is just finding that right fit for your books. You mentioned humor, so let's yeah. <laughs> let's move back another step in time and let's talk about Remy Delemy. Am I saying that right? <laughs> yes. Okay, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of made sense, but you, I never, you know, you're a journalist. Never made the assumption on how something's <laughs> pronounced, right? So tell us about the two Remy books and how they came up, how they came about. Sure. Uh, so the first book um, obviously stars Remy, who has a premonition of the world coming to an end. So he decides to go on a quest to answer man's greatest question. <laughs> and he ends up on this ridiculous road trip through Ontario and Quebec, where he causes total chaos everywhere he goes. And he attracts the attention of a criminal profiler uh, with the Toronto police who profile him as a serial killer, even though he's not. And it ends up generating a big manhunt for him that Remy's totally oblivious to the whole time he's on his quest. And you don't get to find out what the question is until the end when he finds the answer. And the whole thing is like designed to be very silly and to make you laugh. In the second book, uh, Remy gets arrested for crimes he's not aware he committed in the first book. Because uh, Remy has a very sort of chaotic tunnel vision where he has to go from point A to point B and he doesn't care how he gets there. He doesn't look at the collateral damage he causes. Um, that's just who he is. He's just he's almost sort of just like walking chaos. And uh, as he gets arrested, a shadow arm of the government swoops in and steals Remy from the Toronto police because they've also misprofiled Remy, but as a criminal genius. <laughs> and so Remy is forced into a deal, essentially, to earn his freedom by doing shadowy deeds for the government. And by they, un they unleash Remy across Western Canada, and Remy ends up causing global-scale chaos while trying to complete his his deal for the government, which he doesn't believe he actually is involved in. He believes he's <laughs> working for a crooked pizzeria company. So um so in the so in the second book, that's all he's trying to do is get back home. 
because he just wants to get back home to person he loves and just wants to watch the end of the world with them because he's still convinced that it's going to happen i feel like you had a lot of fun writing these books um at but at any point you know like as every writer when you go through the editing process and the drafting sorry first the drafting then the editing at some point you have this like i don't want to look at these words anymore i'm so done with this book i just want it published but I kind of sense like in, in the first Remy book that you weren't really at that place. Like you had fun on every page pretty much. I do. I love it. I, I love writing these silly books. It's uh, it's just so much fun. And uh, um, I'm actually working on the third one now. I'm My oh. schedule is like a little bit crazy. So it hasn't, I've been able to get through it efficiently yet. I'm still trying to find my pockets of time, but I am working on the third one where Remy ends up going all over Atlantic Canada to save the world from the uh, from the chaos he created without being aware that he's saving it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I had a lot of fun. I wrote the, I think part of writing, I think, is is really about um, just finding this, finding the time. This, this is really hard and you have to just try to look. Um, so I told you how I wrote uh, Dungeon Jest. Remy, so the first Remy book, I'll, I'll get into after. It's a very, it's a more complicated, long journey. But the second book, uh, I wrote it entirely on the road while traveling for work, uh, covering stories all over Canada and the U.S. Um, if you flip through to the back of the book, you'll find more than 60 towns and cities that I worked on the book. And I decided to make a list because I knew I'd be writing it entirely in, on the road. Um, and so I wrote it in every province, multiple cities in a lot of provinces. I wrote it up. I worked on it in the Yukon. Several cities in the U.S. I even worked on it in a, a <laughs> former ninth-century monastery turned uh, into an inn in uh, an industrial area of Germany, <laughs> um, just outside of Frankfurt. It's uh, yeah, but I'm, pretty much the entire thing was written on the road. Did you um, did you find that all these different locations? Uh, sort of impacted how the story rolled out like you're in a castle oh, for sure like, yeah like give me some like, examples of that that would be so cool it's uh, a huge I, there's something about traveling that really everyone has their thing that kind of makes their writing bug kind of wake up and for me being on the road really drives my writing it really inspires me like there's no place where I love to write more than on a train um, but their second Remy was put together in in hotels, train stations, uh, planes, airports, um, just like scattered all over the place. Though, and that's how I that's how I put it together mostly. So, um, but like for the Remy books, everywhere Remy has gone is somewhere I've been myself, and I like that because it adds this kind of fun, even though it's very silly fiction in a very silly futuristic version of these places. Um, Remy gets to, I get to add little nuggets to where Remy goes, where people who have been there or lived there go, oh, like, um, like I think about things like Mall City. I don't know if you've gotten into, that's deeper into the second book, but you'll flip through it. You'll find a chapter called Mall City. Uh, and that was inspired by, I've spent a lot of time in Alberta and I thought it was really funny because people I'd speak to, um, you know, in Calgary and Edmonton, especially, they have some really interesting rivalries going on with each other for several things. And I thought that was really, I thought it would be really fun to capitalize on that. And so uh, Remy visits Mall City, 
And it was uh, the former West Edmonton Mall had basically engulfed all of the city of Edmonton. And it did that uh, because it got into a rivalry with Calgary because Calgary built a bigger mall than it. So they started fighting back and forth to the point where West Edmonton Mall essentially just like absorbed most of the city of Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. So it's, it's, like, not it's, a, like, it's not a spoiler. I'll look forward to it. <laughs> it's like very, there's a lot of silliness like that. Um, at one point, Remy's, uh, one Remy befriends a uh, a hobo on a, that just appears on a train who's a former curling champion out of Saskatchewan. And he speaks Saskatchewan. <laughs> which I learned about just because I'd be hang I used to go to Saskatchewan for work to do some work and people would tell me about these different terms that people use in certain areas and certain generations that just you only find Saskatchewan so I thought that was really interesting so at one point um the the, the former curler uh turns to Remy when they stop at a train station in Meadow Lake in Saskatchewan and he tells Remy to go find himself a bunny hug because it was chilly out. And so Remy, being Remy, has to go, go find himself a, a bunny hug, right? Um, but he does it in Remy's way. Hmm. So there's like a lot of like, there's a lot of like silly Canadianisms built into these books for, on purpose because I, I love it. I was going to uh, ask why you decided to set the books in Canada even though you've traveled all over the place. Yeah, I just love it. I, I I love Canada. I love traveling all over Canada. There's so many interesting places that people haven't seen that are never talked about. And like, uh, I've, I've had so much fun traveling for work, like all over the country into all these like remote areas is I love it. I think it's so awesome. Um, and so I, I like that's why I wanted to make it like that. Um, so yeah, this and I mean these the Remy books are kind of perfect for it because they're all kind of ridiculous road trips, in a sense. They're, they're more than that, but they are that too. So I, I feel like being on the road working on them just makes it just works with with these kind of books. Uh, the first Remy book was a long progress uh, process. Sorry, um, I originally created a novella. Oh God, two thousand three, two thousand four. When I was in school, I was doing my bachelor's and I was living in Nova Scotia. Um, I was going to Acadia University um, for sociology and English. And I had a lot of free time. I didn't know anyone when I moved out there. I moved out there because I had gotten a deal for for transfer credits from I was at Sheridan College before that. And they gave me a really good deal. Um, and I thought, well, this offer is really good. I'm just going to go out there. <laughs> and, and so it was a, but it was a very small town. Um, it's a nice town, very nice town, but it's very small. There wasn't a lot of work. I was used to working while I went to school. Um, and all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands and I was kind of like, huh, okay. I didn't even know what to do. Cause I also didn't know anyone. Um, and then one day I, I had this like crazy dream and I woke up and I was like, Whoa, I want to write about this. And I hadn't written anything like fiction wise in a long, long time at that point. And I opened up my my computer and I sat there for like a good 10, 12 hours, just like type, type, typing away. And then uh, I spent the next eight, nine months creating what was then Wasted Days, which eventually became Remy's Dilemma. So the, the Wasted Days was very rough. It was, I didn't know that much about writing also when I wrote it. So it was very rough. It wasn't edited. It was, but of course I was young and excited. So I got a bunch of, I got, I took all of my money I made from teaching, from being a TA uh, my, you know, it was probably like, it was like $800. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I got made some copies, brought them home, all excited, handed them to people, not realizing like what a mess it was. <laughs> and then uh, years later, I moved to Ottawa to become a journalist. I, when I was 30, I changed careers and I decided to uh, become a, a journalist. I went, I went to Algonquin College and, and got a degree in journalism, a diploma in journalism. And uh, while I was there, I got a job for a newspaper in the in the Ottawa Valley. And we moved into the Ottawa Valley into Carlton Place. And I was moving some boxes around. And I opened up a box and I found these old Wasted Days books. And I started looking through it even then. And I was like, at first I was like, oh, I'll hand some out to people. It was fun. And I handed out a few to people. And then I opened it up one day, started reading it. And I went, oh, man, I should not be handing this out to people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is so rough. <laughs> and so I looked at it uh, and I was like, you know, like, there's still, there's a lot of work it needs, but I also like the ideas in it. And at the time that just followed Remy. It had no other real characters. It just followed Remy on a crazy journey. And so I gutted it and I spent like, you know, the next two and a half years rewriting it into Remy's dilemma, um, you know, between, I guess that would have been like 2000. 12 to 2014 and then released it in 2015 um so yeah it was uh it was an, it was a long haul to get that one get that one written <laughs> did you ever try to get it traditionally published i did actually i and i so not the the first one i'd sent i think i'd sent the manuscript out to a couple people um they were it was rejected i got a couple of nice rejections i got one from a publisher who liked it um they thought it was really funny but they said they they had no idea how to sell it they said i don't know how to sell this they said i think it's really funny but i don't know how to sell it um we can't afford to publish something we don't know how to sell this isn't our market uh but it was but they got but it was a very positive response so i you know i thought that was good and then i tried to get the second one published thinking, you know, maybe I can go the hybrid publishing path, build up an audience with the first one. Because the first one was was fairly well received at that point. Uh, I went to an agent conference uh, in Toronto and I went around and pitched the Remy series to some agents. Um, one of them was interested. They they took the manuscript. They took Remy and the, the manuscript from the first 50 pages or so from the second one. Um, and they come back to me and they were like, this is really funny, but it's all focused in Canada. They're like, we can't sell this in the United States. They're like, and they were based in New York. And they were like, you know, if you, if you make Remy in, you know, if you put them all over the U S give me a call, but like, you can't, we can't sell Remy going traveling all over Canada with all these Canadianisms to Americans. They're like, it's like, it's essentially, they were just like, like that won't sell, which I get, like, that makes sense. I, I get that. Um, did you but consider I'm, changing that? No. Okay. I love it. Um, I, I I don't mind the idea of putting Remy in some fun American places because I've been to a lot of American cities over the years. So the idea that I could bring him into uh, some American cities, I don't mind the idea of writing those. Um, but they would be kind of like separate one-offs, totally unrelated to the series. Because the third series will, the third book in the series will wrap it up uh, as far as the series goes. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't regret making it like strictly Canadian because I, I wrote it for Canadians. That's, that's really why I wrote it. Um, and I think it's, and I think it's a lot of fun. And I think Canadians get a kick out of it. So 
Yeah, no, it's cool. I'd, I'd like, yeah, I'd like to get traditionally published at some point. Uh, I'm thinking there's a book I'm I'm started working on now that I might try the traditional publishing route with outside of the Remy book, the third Remy book. Um, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, I'm. I think it'd be interesting. You know, my my dream job would be to write books all day. Best easiest way to do that is to get paid to do it. So, <laughs> so I think traditional publishing is gonna have to is gonna have to come at some point. And at this point, I'm I feel very lucky. My my books. Um, you know, I've got four books that are independently published and they've done, they've done pretty well. I feel pretty lucky. I've, I've, you know, I've won a combined 13 different independent publishing awards for, for the, across those four books. So, uh, and, and the sales have been decent. So I feel like I have some foundation to build on now. If I go back with a new series, uh, to talk to a traditional publisher, cause I do have a new series I'm mapping out. So yeah, we'll see. So you mentioned awards. So yes, you won awards for all your books. You're an award-winning magazine article writer. You've got the Canadian Independent uh, Publishers uh, Initiative now going. How, Andrew, come on, how do you budget your time? Like, this is insane. Like, you know. So, so, I shouldn't, so I shouldn't mention I'm currently doing my MFA in creative writing. Oh, no, I was going to bring that one up, too. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm doing that part time too. One like one course per semester, like five semesters a year type of deal. Okay. Uh, just, I mean, it's also just to, for cost management too, because I mean, it's, there's a big investment there. But um, yeah, no, I keep busy for sure. And we have three kids I chase around all day when they're not well right now in summer because they're they're at home running amok. But um, you know, and I, so I mean, yeah, there's I'm busy. I'm not. I don't take a huge amount of downtime. I'll be honest. Um, that's just kind of my personality. I'm always, I'm always doing something. <laughs> if I wasn't writing, I mean, honestly, I'd be doing something else. When I was, you know, back before I started writing books, I was working in logistics at one point, and I was working as a route manager for a logistics company, like managing trucking lanes and stuff. And it was like a midnight shift job. And I remember it was an 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., like four days a week type of job. And on my days off, I couldn't switch back to days because it make me feel awful so i would just stick to nights i'd wake up go hang out with some friends and then you know you know midnight comes and then you're like all right well i guess i'm by myself till like 10 in the morning i i i needed something to do so i i bought a waiting keyboard and started learning how to play piano but like <laughs> there's just like i'm just i need to do stuff i need i need hobbies i'm just a hobby i'm a very much like a hobby person and a busy person i like to be busy um I get like, I get unhappy when I'm not busy. So like, I just need to stay busy. When, um, when do you find your most creative? What time of day? Or is it at any time of day? So if I'm at home, I would definitely say the mornings. When I, If I wake up at like four or five in the morning, uh, that's definitely when I'm most creative. And sometimes I will do that. I'll just wake up at four or five in the morning and start working on stuff because that's who I am. Um but when I'm on the road, if something else just happens. I just get inspired traveling. Um, it, it doesn't even matter what time of day it is. It's just like, I think it's just being on the road just makes me want to write. I can't explain it. <laughs> I don't I don't think you need to. I think a lot of people will understand. I certainly understand that, uh, which is why I always have my laptop when I travel, because in, as inspiration hits at any time when you're not at home in your regular sort of routine, I think. 
Um, What lessons have you learned as you matured as a writer? Uh, First thing is that, uh, (laughs) because the first one I learned early on was that you need as many eyes as you can afford to have on your stuff because you cannot catch everything. And the hardest work to edit is always your own. By far, because you're so deep into it. I edit for a living. Uh, You know, I edit other people's stuff all the time. But, you know, getting your own stuff is always harder. It's because, you know, especially books and things that you've taken and put so many hours into. You you really need those other perspectives and those other sets of eyes. They're so important. And I think you you need different types of eyes, uh, especially depending on what kind of books you have. Uh, with the Remy books, for example, like I like I said, I did have a couple editors who I who I trust with all my projects. Um, but I also for the Remy books, I also hired a professional line critiquer who was invaluable. They were awesome for making my book. I wanted to make keep the flow going, keep, you know, improve flow, readability and just the reader experience. And I found that was that was really, really important. And I think you just need to make sure you have all the tools. And, and I I guess that's one of the things I learned when I put the first round of book together was you can't rush these things. Um, now, I mean, some people have more time than others. I, I, you know, I'm always busy with work. I'm busy with the kids. Uh, I've got a lot of things on the go. You know, editing process for Remy, I think the first Remy book, I think the editing process took 15 months. And it's not because I was doing it for 15 months, like just nonstop day and night. It was, you know, it's a combination of uh, affordability, getting the money together to hire each person, and then finding the time in between life and all the things that are going on, right? Um, That's one of the things I also liked about independent publishing, too, was I always liked that I could take my time and make sure the books were what I want. I didn't want to rush them. I already rushed something. I knew how terrible it was when I rushed something. I wanted to make sure they were they were what I wanted. I wanted to make sure the artwork was what I wanted. I wanted to make sure, uh, you know, I, I wanted to edit it to the point where at some point, and I think all authors will appreciate this and, and understand this, when you're sitting there editing over and over that last set of copies that have actually been laid out in your book format, and at some point you look up and you look at it and you're like, I'm, I'm just making changes now for the sake of making changes. And when you hit that point, that's when you have to kind of just push it up and like hit the publish button and, you know, kind of makes you want to vomit at the same time because you're like, oh God, I hope I didn't miss something because I hate, you know, I, you miss something and then you feel, you know, maybe drives you crazy, right? <laughs> I know it can be fixed, but it still drives me crazy. Um, so I think, yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things I learned more than anything was just take as much time as you need to make sure that book is exactly what you want. And it's not about marketability. It's not about, you know, I've never written anything thinking, oh, this is this is going to be great. This is going to sell so many copies. I don't like it's not that I don't care. It's just it's not my priority when I write. I have to write something that I love to write or else there's no point in me writing. Um I want to have fun with it. Like if I'm not having fun writing, then I don't, I really don't see the point. Then it's just my work. Then it's my work writing, right? Like I'm just working, (laughs) but for my fiction, my fiction is my fun time. (laughs) So I like my job, but I, but I love writing fiction. Right. So I want to, I want to keep that love there. I don't want it to feel like work. How do you find adjusting between writing to deadline for your work and 
the luxury of not having to do that for fiction. It's kind of refreshing because <laughs> I have a lot of deadlines. I keep, I keep very busy with my with my work, uh, my work writing. Um, I work with a lot of different people, and uh, I always have deadlines. There's always deadlines. Um, the way I I've always attacked these things, uh, whether I was like a full time editor for a magazine, you know, for a magazine publisher or on my own, is I like to build up lots and lots of work. And then I just look at the stack and I just pull from the top of the stack based on deadline. And I just produce like that. Um, and I think a lot of writers are deadline driven in some ways. I think we, there's, we like having that push. Uh, but when it comes to the fiction, I think maybe because I do so much deadline writing, I really like to have that time to myself to make sure I can just make it exactly what I want. It's just, it's important to me. It's just really, really important. Um, I don't want to produce something. I don't ever want to produce a work of fiction that I'm actually not interested in. Because I also, I think it would show. I think it would the book would be would not be a nice, like a fun book to read if I didn't enjoy it. And and the main reason I write fiction as far as, uh, you know, externally goes is I want my books, I want people to be able to pick up my books and at some point in them laugh out loud when they're reading them. I want them to pick up a, a copy of one of my books and feel like once they've read a couple of chapters, their day feels lighter. Okay, I need to play that again because I completely love what he says about the reader experience. I want them to pick up a, a copy of one of my books and feel like once they've read a couple of chapters, their day feels lighter. Uh, I that's That's really, if I hope to get anything out of my books, it's just to give people some entertainment and, and give them some laughs and just make their heavier days feel a little lighter. I think that's that's really all I want. That's a very lovely and noble goal. <laughs> I just like making people laugh. <laughs> awesome. Um so how you you're you're a freelancer, am I correct? So like yeah. you have your you have your your business. It's my own company. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how did you build a freelance business, like coming out of uh, a study, study position with a newspaper into so, freelancing for various outlets? So I was a freelancer when I was a newspaper writer, when I was a, like a journalist for newspapers, I also freelanced just to get extra money because it didn't pay very well to be a, to be a newspaper reporter. Been there, um, done that. <laughs> and so, and then I was a magazine, I was in magazines as an, you know, first as an assistant editor, then an associate and web editor, and then as a full-time editor, like full, like a full editor running my own publications. Um, I mean, you meet a lot of people, although I'd say most of my business has not, is a lot of my business is unrelated. Some of it is still there. I mean, I do a lot of writing for magazines still. Um, and I, sometimes I oversee publications as well is usually on an interim basis, while they're trying to, you know, find new full-time editors, I'll step in and because I and people are comfortable with me because they know I understand the roles, I understand the the publishing process and and these things, and they're confident in my ability to write and edit. So, um, no, and I do a lot of event management for these guys too, especially in the B two B space. Um, so on that side, that part of my business transitioned pretty smoothly, uh, but then uh, I would just reach out, I would look around and. I would spend money. I would advertise myself at like, I'd go to trade shows because I do a lot of technical writing, I should add. So my work involves a lot of technical writing. I've worked for, I've covered a lot of different industries over the years. Um, you know, I've written for 40, 50 different business publications. Um, and so I do a lot of technical storytelling. 
And so I'd go to trade shows sometimes. And, and my, bo- my booth would kind of stand out because it's kind of uh, it's kind of an odd duck, you know, in a lot of technical kind of trade shows uh, until someone comes and talks to you and you can explain what you do. Uh, and I've been able to get clients like that uh, because they're, and they understand like, oh, okay, well, you know, I covered, for example, I've, I've done, I've probably covered the construction sector, written about different aspects of the construction sector for more than a decade. Um, so people understand that after, especially after talking to me, you know, I have a certain amount of industry knowledge that you typically wouldn't find if you tried to hire a freelance writer, uh, cause I've been boots on the ground and, you know, in logging operations, uh, you know, quarries, construction sites, um, you know, sawmills, pulp mills, um, you know, automation, automation plants, things like that, uh, all sorts of different manufacturing, uh, and, I, and I've seen a lot of th- things over the years and I've, I've built my industry knowledge over the years because I've been lucky enough to travel around Canada looking at different operations. And so that's really helped me build my knowledge. So when I'm speaking with people, with companies or, or, or associations uh, that are looking for writers for that kind of technical storytelling, um, I, have a little, I'm, I have a little bit of an advantage in that sense because I have that technical knowledge. That's helped me grow the business a lot for sure. Was was it a deliberate choice to pursue writing for industry at that kind of technical level? Or did you just kind of like, oh, well, this is where I am now? Yeah, no, it was deliberate. Um, So I loved writing for the magazines full time. But one of the challenges for me was I was doing a lot. I loved the travel, but it was also very hard on my home life. Uh, It was very hard on my wife. We have three small kids. Um, you know, and as we had more than one, if we had one, the travel was a little bit challenging. When we had two, it became harder. At three, it became really, really hard. It's, it's very, very difficult on my wife. It was getting, and it was getting harder on my kids who were getting older. Uh, so we were trying to set up uh, a solution that would keep me at home more. Um, and, uh, but, but, but made sense, right? And so, I thought, well, let's branch out. Let's try running my own content company and see how it goes. Uh, and it's gone well. And, you know, I get a, a lot of, oh, there's a lot of interest. I'm always busy, which is good. Uh, my travel went way down, which is like, you know, probably maybe it's not the best for my fiction writing, but it is it's the best for everything else. So <laughs> you need to find a new um, muse. Yeah, that's just it. I just need to, well, I just need to wake up early again more. I mean, I say, I say it was harder on my fiction writing, but I produced two books in 2022. So through the pandemic. So. You know, maybe it isn't yeah. <laughs> just it's, different books. It's interesting that you say that because um, I've I've spoken to a lot of writers whose writing really got stunted during, you know, the three years from 2020 to 2023. But it seems to be an equal split between writers who really struggled to get the words out and writers who were able to crank out, you know, one, two, even you know, one writer I know, she wrote three books over the course of the pandemic, right? And then, yeah. of course, Brandon Sanderson, who wrote four major novels over the course <laughs> of the pandemic. So uh, it's it's interesting to hear other perspectives. Um, what is the vision going forward for Canadian independent publishers? So I, I really want to build a community that that helps showcase those Canadian authors out there and let people know about their books and 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 help and all of their colleagues. You know, indie bookstores play a big big role in helping promote uh, local authors. So I really want to bring their voice in. I want to bring out 
you know, a lot of tips for helping people navigate the world of publishing, whether it's, you know, marketing or, you know, tips for, for editing, uh, things like that, uh, especially for newer, newer authors who are kind of just jumping into it. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options out there, but that doesn't mean there's a lot of good options out there. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can spend your money really inefficiently. And I learned that sometimes the hard way, especially when I was younger. Um, and so I just want to help people kind of navigate that journey, I guess. Uh, and and just and I more than anything, I really want to highlight talented, talented Canadians, you know, who have put the time and energy and effort and and money and time into their books to make them as as you know as good as they could, uh, because you know self publishing, independent publishing. I know people use the two terms kind of interchangeably. Um, it's it's got a stigma. And, and there's a reason it's justified. I'm not saying it's not justified. There are a lot of books out there that don't get edited that, uh, you know, the, the writing, uh, may not have, you know, may have required a lot of editing, uh, and not gotten any. And, and it's hard to differentiate that, you know, but, you know, if you haven't, you can't read every book out there. And so it's hard to differentiate between someone who's put no effort into, you know, improving, you know, improving their book and making it as good as possible uh, and someone who just clicks publish as soon as they write. And that's not, that's not necessarily a shot at the people who do that. Sometimes it's just inexperience. I did the same thing. I was excited and wanted to hit publish. But I really want to highlight those people who make all those efforts, who talented people who who work with, you know, who hire editors, who who, you know, help them put together you know, really well-crafted books. And I, I want them to be in the spotlight. I also want to spotlight indie publishers as well. So like smaller publishing houses that are out there helping promote Canadians as well. I want to promote them as well. I think it's really important. I want their names to get out as much as I can. I just want to help people, you know, I want to help Canadians that are, that are, you know, trying to, trying to make a living in this sector, or even if it's part-time, um, just promote their works and get them out there because I feel like it's, it's a very difficult task. Um, and I just want to try and be part of the solution. I wholeheartedly support this initiative as a, <laughs> as a self-published author three times and now heading into traditional publishing. So hmm, I'm cool. the hybrid, I'm the hybrid model. Um, I love the small presses and I think they don't get as much attention as they should. So Thank you for doing that for them. Oh, no, you're very welcome. I, I do. I hope it, I hope people embrace it and, and it does well. I, uh, you know, I'm, I really I'm really hoping that this becomes, you know, a great tool for people. So that's that's really that's really what I want, because I, I understand it. I understand all these frustrations. You know, I can say, oh, look, my books have won 13 awards. But it doesn't mean that, you know, mean, that mainstream media doesn't care. They're not going to pick it up <laughs> like <laughs> We need to have places to 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 help showcase people, and I know there's other people doing it. You know, there's people like yourself. There's people podcasting and doing different things to help promote, you know, indie authors. And I appreciate that. I appreciate those efforts because I mean, we, I feel like we really need to use different avenues to kind of lift each other up and and help, you know, promote each other's works and get it out there to people. Absolutely, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time today. Your journey is like, it's amazing uh, how Thanks. how busy you are without looking like you're super busy and overwhelmed. You're very calm, <laughs> cool and collected. I just have my head down all the time, just 
one thing at a time, right? Top of the pile. That's it. That's all I look at is top of the pile. I can't look at the whole pile. (laughs) And that's that's a good way to approach it. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can learn everything you need to know about Andrew on his website. It's www.snookbooks.com. All his books are there. His articles are there. His awards are there. The links to the Canadian Independent Publishers is there, as well as the sign up for the newsletter. And while you're surfing the web, hop on over to substack.com slash Dana Goldstein and sign up for my newsletter that lands in your inbox every single Sunday morning to enjoy with your coffee. Once again, thanks for giving me your ears. Yeah, I know that you want to be Canadian, please. We're together, monarchy, the USSR.